0: Welcome to the first episode of Who Are the People in Your Hospital? I'm Miriam Klein, and I promise to introduce you to someone in your hospital. But first, why should you care? And why should you listen to me? So you should care because if you have ever been to a doctor, you've been involved with the healthcare industry. If you've ever gone to urgent care, if you've ever seen a nurse, you've been involved If you pay your taxes in the United States or in most other countries, they go towards the healthcare of other people. In the US, it's Medicare and Medicaid. In other countries, it is universal healthcare. Why me? I'm not a doctor, but I do work in healthcare. So I worked for a medical software company for about five years, not quite. And as a result, I've been to hospitals all over the country and heard all kinds of issues that they face both technical and otherwise. Then I left because my background, believe it or not, is actually in physics. But I really enjoyed working in healthcare, so I went to school for medical physics, and I very recently graduated. I've therefore worked and studied healthcare for my entire adult life. And as you can tell, uh, my reaction to someone who's never been in this industry saying no one knew it could be so complicated is pretty defensive. (laughs) Actually, anyone who's been in this industry for more than a few seconds knows that it's incredibly complicated. So that's me. I'll tell you about EMRs today and one last thing before that is that all opinions are mine and not those of my past, present, or future employers. So first let's talk about who uh, works in this field and what they do. But first I'm actually going to talk about what EMRs are because you may not know. So what's an electronic medical record? An electronic medical record, or EMR, is a database that stores the patient's chart. So, uh, in the past, the patient's chart was exactly that. It was a bunch of charts and notes, usually in a bulky, messy file folder. If a patient moved or they had to go to a new location, they'd have to call to get the relevant data mailed or faxed over. EMRs started in the sixties or seventies, um, you know, early computer programming hospitals were an industry that could invest in those supercomputers back in the day, but EMRs started to really catch on um, a lot more recently when first of all, when personal computers were much more accessible, uh, when internet was a lot more reliable, the high tech act portion of the American recovery and reinvestment act, um, which you may know as the stimulus, provided a lot of incentives and the threat of later penalties to encourage more healthcare organizations to use EMRs and not just use them, but use them meaningfully. And I'll talk about that later. The software that is used for EMRs often stores not just the patient record, but also allows for multiple tasks. And this goes beyond EMR, which is really just the term we use for the record um, for the patient's chart. Uh, many EMRs are actually part of what we would call a health information system or HIS. And an HIS will include all sorts of abilities scheduling patients, creating referrals to patients um, either outside of the organization or within. So if they go to their regular family doctor and they've got an issue that the family doctor can't solve, um, you need a referral usually within the American healthcare system and I believe others. Um, I'm not positive, but I think like the UK general practitioner has to send a referral if you need to go to, say, a gastroenterologist instead. Um, That was a bit of a digression. Uh, HISs will let you interface with insurance databases to check if the patient is actually covered. They can send lab orders to outside labs. They can send prescriptions to outside pharmacies. They can provide decision support, um, which means provide recommendations based on patient information in real time. So for example, let's say I go into my doctor and they're like, oh, you are a woman and you are overdue for a pap smear. Um, And the system told me that, that would be decision support. HISs can also help people report on data and send out bills. So the goal of many HISs is to provide start to finish records of the patient's journey through the healthcare system, making it as seamless as possible in terms of documentation and communication. I think a lot of people in the industry, myself included, kind of use EMR and HIS interchangeably, and that's not great. So I'm going to try to say healthcare software vendor or HIS here, Um, but as you already saw, I talked about EMRs. Um, Know that I'm referring to kind of this whole big digitization of the medical record and the digital tools we have to assist in the healthcare industry. Healthcare software vendor could also refer to a lot of different things and not just an HIS. HIS is kind of the full package, but you have specialty specific stuff. So RIS is a radiology information system. So X-rays, there's some other terminology that I hope to get into later. Uh, PACS is uh, where the like X-ray images are actually kept. A healthcare software vendor could also mean something very, very specific, like a program that is geared towards patients with diabetes and the clinicians who treat them. So yeah, lots of terminology there um, coming at you, but I'm going to talk about my experience working for a healthcare software vendor that provided an HIS and EMR. So that's what an EMR or HIS is. So now let's talk about what life is like at those companies. So the people include software developers, uh, quality assurance people, technical writers, and request for proposal folks, the way you would at any software company. Because the the clients are not just your average Joe... uh, buying a copy of software, but a full hospital usually, um, there are client managers. My job was sort of a mixture of client manager and technical support person. I was assigned to specific customers. So I built a relationship over time with those customers on a specific application because the healthcare information system is huge because healthcare is complicated. So I worked specifically on the outpatient clinical. So that's actually the easiest for a lot of people to understand. Um, that is what your doctor would use when you go into the doctor's office. There was also, you know, a, one for patients admitted to the hospital. There was one for patients in the emergency room and the, you know, the doctors are the ones using it actually. So my job was helping with technical and project management issues. And there were also people who specifically did project management. So they may not have had as much of a technical background, but they were very people oriented and customer service oriented. And project management oriented. So unlike when you, you know, download a copy of Microsoft Word and you just start using it, these systems require a lot of configuration based on the type of hospital. You know, you need to build out like how many different departments they have. You have to build out ways, you know, the login information for everyone. So the project managers helped during that implementation phase before the hospital actually started using the system. You also had people who served typical roles that any large company would have. So payroll, HR, legal department, sales. They had people who trained both new hires as well as new customers or existing customers who were changing roles. And then there were some physicians and nurses on staff who consulted on the product from their perspective as someone who would actually use it. So in addition to putting out supporting and selling the software and updating it there were a lot of regulatory needs that EMRs needed to meet again particularly with the High Tech Act. So I was hired around the time that the High Tech Act passed and earlier in this episode I referenced meaningful use clause So there are a lot of quality programs for hospitals and there have been for years, but meaningful use is a very big one right now. It is a system of metrics that hospitals must report on and meet in order to get their full Medicare, Medicaid reimbursements. Initially they got a little bit extra in reimbursement for um, Medicare and Medicaid services. And then after a few years of the carrot, so to speak comes the stick where you are penalized for not reporting on these. All right, so that's a bit of what goes on and a little bit of the roles. So what do you need to know? What kind of training do you need? A lot of the training is on the job. This is still a newer industry. There were definitely some people with a managing information systems background. And of course, the software developers had computer science backgrounds, but it really depended. If you were a consulting physician or nurse on the product, obviously you had the education required for that. As I mentioned, my background was physics, and a lot of people in my role were also in the hard sciences or engineering, just because we did need to be able to read and understand code, but it wasn't our primary job. So people who were really computer science majors or had that background tended to work as programmers. We tended to be people who were used to using a little bit of code for very specific applications, the way you do in many of the sciences. But there were also people in my department who had humanities backgrounds. It's really, are you willing to put in the work? Do you like coding um, a little bit, even if you don't have that as a classic background? It's a lot more about soft skills, actually, unless, again, you're a developer, and I say soft skills just because that's how they're often referred to in business books, but they're not soft. They're not weaker. They're pretty important in all of healthcare. Communication is not usually called out, but that's one of the most important skills you can have in most jobs, but especially in healthcare. So what impact does this job have on patients and also other people who work in healthcare? So for patients, there are Definitely benefits and also some drawbacks and it's something I do hope to cover again from the perspective of a physician, but from someone who worked with the software myself. There is some improved safety. If you've ever seen or heard jokes about doctors handwriting, sending electronic prescriptions really cuts down on the potential for errors. So that's great. There's, you know, a single seamless record. It's a lot harder to lose. You don't have to ask patients their history every single time or, you know, look it up in a big bulky folder. You know, someone who's older and has lived in the area their whole life and gone to the same organization might have multiple folders, especially if there's someone who has perhaps had more health conditions. So it makes the information a lot more accessible and searchable. The decision support and warnings can be helpful. For example, you know I, I mentioned like the pap smear reminder. That's not something that a doctor might necessarily remember, especially if they have a very high volume and it's a busy day, if a patient doesn't remind them, it could slip, you know, especially if it's not priority. and preventative health care is really important. It saves problems down the line. So I think that's helpful. With all computer-aided diagnosis and tools, it works best in conjunction with an experienced doctor. So, you would it is better to have a good doctor and a mediocre system than a mediocre doctor and a great system. Electronic medical records and HISs and all of the information within them also really contributes to research. It's so much easier to report on large amounts of data when it's already digitized. And it's you know easy to anonymize as well, so you can just run data. Um, there was a, an NPR piece a while back about a big healthcare system using patient data by location to look into health risks associated with fracking in the region. You know whether there were or were not more incidences of, I think they looked into asthma and cancers. On the other hand, there are some drawbacks having all that data in a database means that a power outage or a server outage or something like that is a much bigger deal than if everything were on paper. And there are ways to combat that, especially for scheduled patients. you know you can print out some basic details in case there's an outage. There's all kinds of you know sysadmin stuff people do. there are backups in place, but it is a risk. Um, it also means that patient data can be stolen you have probably seen news articles about that. The data is on a private server. Usually some companies also have things in the cloud, so to speak, but it's easier to save off patient information if it's already digital and you don't have to scan it. No one's going to steal piles and piles of folders, or at least it's going to be rare, but it's a lot it's a lot easier, and it is a risk that comes with the convenience. Patient safety is another thing that goes either way. If there is a software glitch, that is a serious issue, and most companies have a very clear and rapid protocol for dealing with a glitch when it's found. If there's a bug that could affect patient safety, you know they will communicate to all of their clients what's going on and how to work around it and try and get a fix, you know, a patch out as soon as possible. One thing that I've heard from a couple of doctors is that having the screen between them and the patient kind of hurts their relationship with the patient. And I'm not a doctor. I've never been bothered by it as a patient. But again, this is, you know, this is my first job out of school. So I already came into it with that bias. And I'm of a generation that's kind of used to everyone looking at their screens all the time. We're like, yeah, it's okay if people don't make eye contact. I still believe them. I know that they're looking at my information and they care about me through that. But that is a valid concern. And it's something I hope to talk about with doctors. Thanks everyone for listening. This is a project I hope to continue, but my career knowledge only encompasses two items, as I mentioned. I've reached out to friends. I'll be talking with them over the next few weeks. But if you or someone you know works in healthcare, please let me know. You can email the podcast at peopleinyourhospital at gmail.com. And I'm happy to refer to people by an alias if you would prefer to keep your identity private for professional reasons. All right. Thanks, everyone.